Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back. We are with the scientist, theoretical physicist Leonard Malata. Now, Leonard, uh, what's new in the world of science, by the way, before we get back into elastic? Any uh, cutting-edge breakthroughs out there? Well, you know, the big one uh, was the gravitational waves that uh, I think was uh, really the the biggest breakthrough of the, oof, well, in physics at least. Of, kind uh, of backed up Einstein, didn't it? Well, it, it's that, yeah, it definitely did, and it was, uh, you know, 100 years after his prediction that, that it was confirmed, but it's, it's really the beginning of a new way to examine the universe because, you know, since Galileo, we've been using telescopes to look at light and then different frequencies, radio waves, infrared, and microwaves, so they're all different kinds of light that we've been using to study the other galaxies in the past because... Uh, the light takes a while to get to us, so we can look backward that way. But with, with gravitational energy is a totally different kind of energy than electromagnetic or light energy. And so this uh, success opens up a, a whole new way to study the universe, and, and we can learn things that we couldn't learn uh, using, using light methodology or electromagnetic methodology. So it's not just that we confirmed what Einstein predicted, but that we opened up a whole new, a whole new way of studying uh, the cosmos, and that, that's pretty exciting, I think. When you were dealing with Stephen, uh, did he uh, try to explain to you his thoughts on the Big Bang and uh, oh, how things started? Of course he did, yeah. and that was what consumed his life, were, were those ideas. And, you know, he, did he get he, his answer? Did he find uh, it? Uh, he had his answer, um, and you know, that's really what our book, The Grand Design, was about, uh, so he, 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 okay, you want it, George? I want it. I want it. <laughs> so that's, that's the, that song in Queen, I want it now. Okay, well, you know the universe is expanding, right? With time, it's getting bigger. So that means not that you and I are expanding, but that the space that we're in is, is, is expanding. So between two points in space, there's more and more space as time goes on. And if you, if you go backwards and, and run that backwards, you'll find that the universe was smaller in the old days. And when the universe gets small enough, it enters what's called the quantum realm. The quantum realm is um, a realm where, of the very tiny, where the uncertainty principle and all that craziness from quantum mechanics uh, is relevant. Uh, And where things are bubbling in and out of existence all the time, and you can't say where something is because it could be here, it could be there, and all those crazy things that happen on the, normally just on the atomic or nuclear scale, that they, they would happen on the whole universe scale when the universe was small enough. So uh, as you go backward, the effect of that on, on space and time itself uh, starts to, to be noticeable, so that space and time lose the character that we understand that they have today, that we feel that we intuitively understand, and time begins to look more like a uh, dimension of space. That was his theory. And that, and that if, you, if you go back, there is no point where, which is a beginning because time itself ceases to have a, the meaning that we normally assign to it. It's almost like, think about um, the globe. If, if you're going, starting somewhere on a globe, you start heading south, you never really find the beginning. You can go through the South Pole and you start coming back north, but you never find a, a point where it starts or ends. It just goes in circles. So that's kind of the idea that he had of, of how the universe began. And, and it was a quantum beginning, which means that there are many, many alternative universes, just like um, uh, there are many different places mm-hmm. where an electron can be. There are many different histories the universe could have. 
And, of course, we're in one particular one of them. And so that, his view was that the different parallel universes all have different laws of nature, that the laws of nature themselves are what we in physics can call a dynamical variable. They're, they're like a property, like position or, 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 or speed. The laws themselves are determined by these quantum fluctuations. And so all the different universes have different laws. And we happen to be in one that has laws that allow us to be here. But that's not hard to understand because if, it, if this universe didn't have those laws, we wouldn't be here to ask about it, right? That's right. That's right. Does, does it prove or disapprove of the existence of God? Well, see, when we wrote that book, it was very controversial. The London Times kicked us off with a big headline, Stephen Hawking, colon, there is no God or something like and that. And that wasn't true. No, it's not true at no. all. Uh, you know, we don't, we're not at all proving that there is no... What, we, what, what his theory uh, says is that you don't need a deity or anything else to, to start the universe, that the universe could come from nothing. And it explains how that works. That doesn't mean that there isn't one. And, of course, one, as we said earlier, one could always ask the question, well... Who made the quantum laws? <laughs> you know, in physics, you can always whatever your my answer is as a physicist, you can say, but why is that? Right? I'll say it's because of this theory, the theory that A equals B, and I derive everything from it. And he says, well, why does A equal B? And maybe if I work hard, I'll find out because C equals D, and then you can say, why does C equal D? There's no end to it. <laughs> so the end is by definition God, you know, in some people's right. minds, and and that's that was Stephen's view. Have we been able to explain scientifically what life is all about? No, I mean, I mean, I mean. Here you are. You're on this. Yeah. You're on this national radio show. You've had your life. I've had mine. We've got all these billions of people scurrying around the planet. What's it all about? Well, I think we each have to find, you know, our own meaning. To, to me, learning about my place and the place of well, my personal place, the place of my species and my planet in the universe and, and where it's going, that that gives it the meaning that it has. It, it allows me to place, put myself in, in perspective and, you know, not take myself too seriously. Mm-hmm. But, but see, you know, on the other hand, how wonderful it is that, you know, laws that are basically governed by randomness uh, can produce something that is so unrandom as you and I and, and, you know, such a rich consciousness and ideas and existence. And... That's just a wonderful miracle that that happens. Um, and to understand that, it's just, you know, some days you may go, my troubles are bad, and you go, not compared to the stars, or, my, or, or, or I'm great, not compared to the, to the galaxies. So I, I think that keeping all that in mind and where you fit is a very healthy thing. I think what's interesting about your title, Elastic, is the subtitle, Flexible, Thinking at a Time of Change, uh, Flexible thinking, I think, is very important for somebody in their life, isn't it? It is. I think it's very important not only for success and to, to thrive and to face new challenges, but just to be happy. If you're not flexible and, and things happen that that you don't like or, or you didn't expect, uh, it, it, could, it causes psychological problems, issues. You get upset. If you're flexible and go with the flow, uh, it's better. That's that's where Deepak uh, and science come together, because he always used to tell me that, uh, Leonard, being flexible is the most important thing. <laughs> and yeah, uh, He might be right. I, I think he's right. Cor- hey, first, by the way, can I give out my Twitter? Oh, uh, absolutely. Think, sure thing. El Milano, it's at El Milano, at You better spell that. Yeah, okay, at L-M-L-O-D-I-N-O-W, L for Leonard, and then M-L-O-D-I-N-O-W. Thanks, thanks, George. Absolutely. We'll give it out again before you're off the air with us tonight. Um, 
a lot of corporations are changing their approach now to increase performance. And one of the ways that they're doing this is through what you're writing about right now, elastic thinking. Right. Well, you know, they've noticed that uh, you have companies like Kodak. Remember Kodak? Great company, invented digital photos. Well, what happened to them? Defunct. You know, what about Blockbuster? Blockbuster. Oh, that, I was talking yeah. about that last week. They didn't see it coming at all. Well, they some, were, didn't have the flexible thing. I'll tell you, you know. Some executive, Leonard, should have said, folks, there's something called streaming video, which is going to make all our stuff and stores obsolete. There's one blockbuster store left. I think it's in Australia, and um, it's owned by some franchisee. All the company stores are gone. The business is gone, basically. The business is gone. Well, they had the clunky tapes, right? They're even slow to get into the DVDs, and Netflix starts mailing them, and they thought, oh, that's dorky, they're mailing DVDs, but guess what? That was a great business, and Blockbuster was even slow in putting them in their stores. Publicly held company at the time. You know, and that's why Netflix is a great example, because Netflix kind of started pushing them away with the DVD mailings, right? Yep. Netflix killed them. Killed them. Yeah, that's right, but then when the streaming started, as as you just pointed out, Netflix was not like Blockbuster. Netflix started saying, these DVDs are nice, but you know that's going to go by the you know the wayside too. Let's let's get onto the new business. And they started looking at streaming, and people criticized them in the beginning, like, "Oh, they're going into streaming. Streaming is clunky. You know, we don't have the bandwidth yet." And they said, "No, streaming is the future." So they did what Blockbuster didn't do. They made the transition, and they're still trying to keep continually. And that's what you have to do today. Now, when the power goes down or something goes down, you might want to have your DVDs still around, but. Uh, that's I, apparently there's still a mailing, a little mail order business. I didn't realize that that Netflix does. Some people have just in case, yeah. Some people are still the dinosaur type, but I mean, here's somebody at Blockbuster, some executive who did not see this coming, and Netflix blew right past them. How could they miss that? That that's the thing that you know people are not used to questioning their assumptions. So they had to remember the old in the old days the. Uh, the secret of business was to look at your core business. Remember those words they used to say, core business? You look at your core business, stick to your core business, focus on it, optimize it, and that's not true anymore. That's, if you just stick, they stuck to their core business, and they got core business right out of business. So you know, now you've got to constantly be changing your business. I've, I've got some young executive, uh, some, some kid who was working at Blockbuster, went to talk to his executive boss and said, Boss, you know, I, I, I think there's this new thing coming where people are going to be able to watch, and then I have to leave their home to get the DVD. They can just do it with their remote right on their television because it's it's all going to be that way. And he said, I don't even know what it's called, but we should look into that. And the guy probably said, you're nuts, kid. Go back to your office. I bet there are blockbuster employees who quit and went to work for Netflix and did quite well for themselves. Yeah, <laughs> Absolutely. But you know, my favorite is, okay, guess what this company is? They don't pay their workers. They don't train their workers. They don't do quality assurance on their stuff, even though it's supposed to be experts. Um, guess what? Those are all assumptions that you would think that, that would, you know, imagine going to a grocery store and they say, oh, not only not pay, they don't charge either. So imagine you go to the grocery store, they say, take what you want, pay what you want. Okay, that's the business model of this company. Wikipedia. Okay, so... Imagine Britannica. I remember Encyclopedia Britannica. You know when 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 the online stuff started happening, people said, "Oh yeah, they're, they they're going to put their their um, encyclopedia online too." But that's not. It wasn't online encyclopedia that was Wikipedia's great vision. It was these things that I said. 
that they, that they're going to have the people write it, and they're not going to get paid, and they're not going to be um, employees. Employees. They're, they're, we're not going to charge for it, and they're not going to be trained, and it's all going to work out by the wisdom of crowds. And, and it was that assumption that Britannica couldn't couldn't must you know, it couldn't stand it. And they'll also let non-paid public members correct the mistakes. Yeah, they correct. So what? So just like you said, there's probably people at you know Britannica who are saying, "Hey, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta, you know." Uh, co-opt this Wikipedia company. We got to start doing what they're doing. They're oh, that'll never work. You know who? Remember they they were saying up until a few years ago, an encyclopedia that's not written by experts. How could that be? <laughs> well, could you then call elastic thinking futuristic thinking as well? It is futuristic. It's it, it's the kind of thinking that envisions and prepares for the future, and it's what you need. It's what you need to face the future because in the future things aren't going to be the way they are today. So if you look back, imagine you go on a vacation twenty years ago. You didn't go to all these different websites. You didn't go to Airbnb. You didn't get to the airport by Uber. Everything has changed, right? So twenty years from now, it's going to change also. And to keep up with it and to be um, uh, to deal with it, you you need elastic thinking. Is elastic thinking the wave of the future for an individual? More and more. And I'm not saying I, I have to be careful to, uh, I'm, uh, to stress that I'm not saying logical thinking doesn't have a place. It really does. But more and more we need elastic thinking. We need a mix of thinking, and our brains are capable of both. But what we need more and more, and what has been neglected in the past, except if you're an artist or a writer or a musician, uh, is, is a need for elastic thinking. But we need it now in business, and we need it in our everyday lives. Would you say that Jeff Bezos from Amazon, uh, Elon Musk from Tesla... Uh, PayPal, of course, that they were elastic thinkers. Oh yeah, and, and still are. Exactly, they're, they're the ones who are the anti-blockbusters and the anti—the opposites. Like, right. Anti, as a physicist, the opposite of blockbuster, the opposite of Britannica. They, they were the ones who questioned, who had a vision that things could work differently. And you know, when you first have that vision, that looks weird. So when I just said you might go into a grocery store and pay what you you know pay, take what you want and pay what you want, ha ha, we're all laughing, but. If someone started a grocery store like that, it might work. And then 20 years from now, we'd look back and go, I can't imagine how it was any different. You know, the, the, the idea that you take your own groceries and put them into a, um, into a grocery cart was a new idea at one time, about 100 years ago. <laughs> People used to go in, and, and, and someone behind the counter would have to hand them their groceries. And the business was very inefficient because there were long waits when there was crowded, and when it was not crowded, they had a lot of clerks sitting around doing nothing. Someone had this idea that to do it differently, the way we do it now, right? And people laughed at them and said, that's not going to work. You can't let people touch the stuff themselves. How are you going to organize that? If you figure I have cash registers and lines and, and, and um, aisles of stuff. And he started what's called Tiggly Wiggly, which is still around. He became that's right. a multi, multi-millionaire. And at that time, though, when he started, it was just as weird an idea as we'll let people take what they want and pay what they want. It's just as weird as the Wikipedia one, and, and but twenty years after he, you know, his store started and other stores started up that way, people couldn't imagine how they ever did it differently. That's just the way ideas go. It is. It is dramatic. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at one a.m. Eastern, and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.